Hello, everyone. It's episode 54 of the Fitness Business Growth Podcast. I'm here with Sander Earl, otherwise known as Phoenix this week, mate. How are you? Good, mate. I'm still getting used to that being uh, called Phoenix, but yeah, I'm, I'm very good, mate. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, mate. It's super inspiring watching the contestants go up against a 105 kilo ripped Phoenix. I watched episode one, mate. Jeez, you smashed that 19-year-old kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a tough way to start. And look, uh, he was a great kid and they didn't do him any favors on the edit. Uh, he was very confident, but, uh, yeah, look, Phoenix takes no prisoners, but he appreciates and respects everyone who comes into the arena. I think, uh, my Jamie, you would have seen a post the other day I did on one of my favorite quotes and poems, which is man in the arena. And I just got so much respect for these guys. Ultimately, the gladiators are former athletes, UFC, rugby league, CrossFit games, athletes, world record yeah. holders. So for these people to come in and give it a red hot crack, like massive respect. Mate, trying hard is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, I like that, 100%. You, cool. Your effort. Yeah, well, mate, I want to go on the Sander Earl experience. You mentioned before the podcast, we could talk for five hours. I've got 60 minutes of your valuable time. Yes. So, mate, you're the second NRL player I've had in the podcast. I had Chris Lawrence, an amazing oh, guy. Absolute legend. But, mate, what I'd love to talk about is really the lessons you've learned through NRL and translate them into business. One of my favorite, one of my heroes is Kobe Bryant. If I can apply the lessons, teamwork, leadership, I learned with the Lakers and win an Oscar, then we can do that. So, mate, I'd love to hear your story from NRL Junior to making the NRL. Was that a dream come true? And just take me through that experience. And Jamie, a touch point on that, like I think the sooner people realize and disassociate a professional sporting team or organization with a small business team of four to five people, the better they can align the principles and the philosophies that we're going to talk about because it is aligned. And I remember one thing before I go into this journey that, you know, I've as a transition from football going into a corporate environment or business, both large and small, one of the things I realized, like I initially had a bit of like frustration with people's maybe attitude or mindset or work ethic, right? Because I'm normally in a professional sporting environment with athletes But I soon realized, and one thing that was very helpful for me as a tool was people haven't had the same exposure I have, right? And you Mm. have a keen interest on the mindset and the strategies behind the world's greatest athletes because that can be applied to anyone. But when I realized that, it gave me this newfound understanding and perspective and also passion for, well, everything that I've gone through, everything that I've been exposed to, great mentors, great cultures. I want to bring that to everyone else and give them that opportunity. So seeing things through that lens was really beneficial for me. Yeah. When I first opened my business, mate, I'd get so frustrated that people didn't think like me because we've all had different experiences in life and just taking the patience, love, kindness, respect, sharing your journey, helping your team and growing together, mate. No one does it alone. Mm, So true. I I went one step further recently, Jamie, after speaking to – uh, someone who's deep in the mindset, uh, actually meditation space. And they said something that was really profound for me. And, you know, at Airlocker, we're on a big journey around mindset and wellness and incorporating that into our business. And uh, I'm sure you're on the same journey yourself, as I can tell through self-development. But one thing I took away was, which is an extension to say work ethic and uh, principles and values is we've all gone through a life of conditioning right? We've been exposed to certain environments. So you've got to now look at certain people and certain situations. They may really frustrate you, but if you can understand that, hang on, what's the life of that person been? What have they been exposed to? What's the conditioning? And it also allows you to just neutralize those reactions and triggers to that person and sort of 
apply a level of sympathy and understanding and it just takes away that emotional response and you're able to see it for what it is and maybe uh, have a conversation or understand that that person may not think the way that you do, but they're also a byproduct of the conditioning and the environment that they've been exposed to. And like you said, I truly believe that everyone's got a good heart. Everyone's got good in them. They just haven't had the exposure or got the awareness yet. Yeah. And it's appreciation. It's appreciating people for the talents they have and then putting them in the position to succeed. I'll use an NRL analogy. You would not put a forward at a fullback position and vice versa. <laughs> 100%. Well, mate, um, starting from a young age, I think, uh, as you said, trying to connect some of the things that I've experienced or been through, whether it be through childhood or in sport, are definitely a reflection of the person that I am now and uh, the way that I hold myself or carry myself or apply myself to certain situations in business. But I started footy at a young age. I was probably three or four. Uh, one of the key things was my mum was my first coach. So single mum, I don't know my dad, but mate, I think she loves footy more than I do. I tell people <laughs> that. So she was a big fan, my first coach. And I just played every sport. Um, like we we grew up, I had everything, but we grew up humbly. I lived in housing commission in uh, inner Sydney and, um, you know, she didn't drive. So it was a lot of public transport, a lot of getting around early mornings, late nights. Um, and I reflect on one other story. Are you You know much about Sydney? I'm in Newcastle, man, so I'm all over Sydney, yeah. Oh, beautiful. So King's Cross back in the day when I was young was a different place to what it is now, right? So it was warm I, I, I spent my 21st birthday there. It was even different 13 years ago. There you go. So you get it. So at seven years old, I used to walk from Wollongong into King's Cross and catch a train and a bus just to get to primary school in year one. Now, the only reason I mention that is obviously that's like night and day to what's normal now, but I feel like it just I was very independent and very street smart, right? I'm not overly educated. I'm just, I would say, intuitively intelligent. And I've gained my knowledge from just being exposed to so many different people and environments and sport. I'd like uh, to announce to the world standard that my UAI was 38. Very, <laughs> un- very unimpressive. How, I'm not, I didn't do my UAI, but I was going to ask, how do you, like, what's the starting score? How do you, yeah. <laughs> did you not do it? <laughs> yeah, I like sport, life, recreation. I like PDHPE and that was about it. 100%, I feel you. That's what my later years of school were directed towards very much so sport. But um, look, after that, mate, I think there's a time and a decision around about the 15 to 16 years age. And like I said, I did everything. Had a real passion and love for boxing at a young age. I played all the different forms of rugby, soccer, um, athletics. But ultimately around 15, 16, you start to go into the pathway, which is uh, towards the NRL. And it's Harold Matz, SG Ball, under 20s, all of these different things. So I got involved in the system at the Roosters. I was a Roosters junior. And um, that was really the first decision and uh, commitment to like, this is definitely what I want to do. And like we said, yeah. that was probably reflected in my time at school as well. Just a timeline, mate. What year was that when you were 15, 16 and were introduced to the Roosters program? Good question. Uh, probably 2005. Yeah. And they, did they win in 2010 or 11? Is, am I right or wrong there? They, they, they won around that period, I, I believe. Yeah, they had some success. And then by the time uh, that I got into first grade, they, they, were, they were not successful, which was, which was a nice, good, easy in for me because uh, that allowed me to have my debut. But one of the key moments after that, bro, which is um, very significant to what we'll touch on later on, which is the roller coaster of life. At about 17, I went to St. Greg's College. So I went to the same school as Chris Lawrence. He was a superstar at school. As you know, he played first grade at 17, which is insane. Man. He was literally leaving his school uniform and, and packing on yeah. his dog gear. Uh, what, what, why I appreciate Chris so much is the level of maturity 
mm. that would have taken to not go back to school and to act like that. Like, like, oh, mate, I was an idiot when I was a teenager. I was doing <laughs> stupid shit every weekend. Yeah, just a just a beautiful guy uh, with such an amazing nature, and he's always been like that, very well respected. But um, at seventeen, I actually tore my ACL. Now, at the time, didn't have as much context and weight as it did now because you you don't know. So it's like, oh yeah, I've got an injury. It's my first time, but. I remember uh, it's a, quite a significant injury, as you know, and it's a big surgery, big rehab. But I went back and had a couple of months off school and the St. Greg's College actually sent me all my homework in like a post-it pack. And it would have been this thick. And I said to my mum, I'm not doing <laughs> I can't go back to school. And to her credit, she was like, look, focus on your rehab and your training, um, get a job for the year, and then you can look at back going back into school. And in that moment, and this is probably the first real reference point I have of my own personal mental strength and resilience. So my mum, to her credit, uh, she got me a nutritionist. I was my first diet plan, found a PT up the road, and I would walk up the hill in Leichhardt where I was living on my crutches and go to the gym basically every day and started eating like a truck. And I was about 69 kilos at 17, which isn't very big. Yeah. And the next year I came back for what is SG ball, which is under 18s at 83 kilos. So I just ate and trained and uh, overcame that injury in somewhat record time in about six and a half, seven months. And that really changed the whole dynamics of my football career because all of a sudden I was powerful and I had, and I was athletic, but one thing to touch on. Can I ask, mate, did you have a really good work ethic or did you just love footy? Was that your passion? No, definitely work work ethic. Work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamie, for me, like I'm going through something now at the ripe old age of 34 in this business and I am reflecting on some of my conditioning um, and I'm looking at going, hang on, you've been using work ethic as a badge of honor and I work, but I'm now starting to question my level of productivity right? Because work ethics always been something I've hung my hat on. But now in this business setting with so much that I have to achieve, so much that I have to accomplish, I'm starting to reflect and go, am I overworking? And am I just hang? Am I just saying, oh, I'm working so hard and seeing that as something that I should be aspiring to when really could I be doing things better and be a lot more productive and a lot more intentional about my work? So that was an interesting reflection I've had of late. But work ethic, mate, like I knew in some of those settings in that young age at the Roosters, like you're getting kids come from Queensland, New Zealand on pretty good money. And, you know, you're in the room and realistically, if you want to look at percentages, I'm not going to make it. But I just knew that if I worked harder than everyone else, that that would stand for something. So that was just personally something that I realized at a young age and had always put a lot of weight and priority behind. And do you think that drive came from your childhood, yep. being having a single mom, living, living, not living in the best areas? Yeah, I think so. Just and not having anything given to me. Um, she did, you know, I've got so much respect for my mum at this age. Like we weren't super uh, emotional and uh, in that respect, like it wasn't the traditional family, but like the things that she instilled in me, she's, there's no harder worker than that woman. Mm. Um, she still works her ass off to this day. And she's, she's been a nurse for the best part of, you know, 40 years of her life. And um, I think it was, you don't know about the time, but to see what she did and then that was reflected in the sacrifices and the discipline that I had. So, yeah, that journey to get to what we're talking about now, the milestone of 17, was definitely a reflection of uh, my lifestyle and uh, her just being a pillar of uh, something that I would like to be or, you know, the work ethic I'd like to have in every part of my life. 
And did you associate work ethic and making the NRL as in making money to help yourself and your family? Like what was the association? I work hard, I make the NRL, and then what happens next? Definitely wasn't financial at that point. Um, it was it was a dream. You know, it was a personal dream. If you think about it, yeah, I played sport, but the best part of 80% of my life was geared towards rugby league. So I spoke about when I debuted at 19, the debut was cool, but it's like when you set a goal or something you want to achieve, you get to the moment and it's not actually the moment. It's like what everything that happened to get to that point. So I sat there and I was like, it was just a reflection of all the training, all the buses and trains, yeah. all the hard work, the injuries just to get to that point. And I was like, it's worth it now. Yeah. It's so cliche, mate, but it is the journey. It's it you is. remembering those times of walking up the hill at Leichhardt with the crutch, not debuting because only you know what you did to get there. Mm. And Jamie, as you would agree and understand, perception is such a powerful awareness tool that we all need to understand because the way I perceived that whole journey or anything along the way can be like night and day, right? Now, if I look at, and we say the journey is the reward and, you know, I do, I do kind of hate that some of these things get thrown in the cliche bucket, but what I perceive now is all of those things, like everything that I go through now, it's like, I understand that it's, I'm growing from it. I'm learning from it. So I put so much weight around these things, so much value around these things that they may seem small and insignificant to everyone else. But when I have the awareness that all of these challenges and situations that I'm going through are constantly forcing growth and self-development, like I couldn't be happier, but for me, that's, that's living. Like I'm, I'm, I'm regardless. And I, and I can say this hand on heart and I don't say it, um, without any context, but of course there's a financial gain that I and everyone else wants. I want financial freedom like the rest of them. And I want to be rewarded for my hard work, but I genuinely am in a place right now that regardless of the outcome, I'm genuinely very happy. I'm living my purpose and I get so much from what I'm doing. So like I am just in the moment, I am on the journey and I'm so grateful for that. One of the best memories of this year, Sandor, I tore my ACL in 2006 playing AFL. Yeah. I, um, I had a meniscus tear recently. I was had surgery in May this year. We started our Done For You Everything service in May this year. I was on the table under anesthesia and Mitch, my business partner, made our very first sale for our Done For You Everything said. And I don't care about the money. I don't care about the sale. It was just the most exciting thing ever because we had a hypothesis and it worked, and I'll never forget that. I don't care about the money. Because like, we're going to be 80 years old, best friends, on a deck with our family, just thinking about, that was so cool. And see, that's that that perception, that's the perception that you have, and that's how you, that's how you have chosen to look at that situation. That's why, you know, we, saw it, we say our perception becomes our reality, but if, if you don't have that awareness, certain situations and challenges, they will control and consume you. But we'll go back to what we said, which is that milestone of my injury. Like if I look back, that was the first understanding of, holy shit, this is the biggest adversity or most negative thing I've faced in my life. Like there's nothing more in that moment relative to me than tearing my ACL. But look what happened after it. The greatest thing that could have possibly happened to me. So guess what? In this story, that hasn't happened once, Jamie. That's happened five, <laughs> six, ten bloody times. Yeah. And now. I look back and I've had this same conversation. If I was to ask you the same thing, I look back and I think if every negative or bad situation I've been through, that's the way we would perceive it, adversity, 
And I think about what happened after those situations because they offered me my greatest solutions, my greatest ideas, like you just said, my biggest growth and lessons. How could I perceive any of those situations as bad or negative? The The alternative, mate, is that everything is perfect every day of your life and you live a very, very boring life. (laughs) <laughs> like imagine if it was guaranteed imagine if you were guaranteed to make the NRO you were guaranteed to work for Airlock, you were guaranteed to get 100 franchises even if you got there you wouldn't even care it mm. is it is the journey it, it is. is walking up the hill in the crutch it is but you know what else that does having that perception like we just spoke about and being actually able to dis- disassociate challenge and adversity with negativity or bad what do I have to fear if I now go forward or just like yourself, we start a business or we do so, what do I have to fear when already I have the runs on the board to say that my biggest adversities, most negative situations have offered me the greatest things in my life. So now I go forward into any situation, I'm not saying I don't have fear, but I go into any situation knowing that I'm either going to be successful because I believe I am going to be. And if I'm not, then my greatest lessons and growth are going to come from that. So what is negative or bad? When you overcome a problem and you realize that you overcame it, you have this belief in yourself that I can Mm. overcome the next one. I can overcome the next one. And then as the problems keep coming, the problems get smaller and smaller and smaller because your belief to overcome it gets larger. And then all Mm. of a sudden you're just stepping over, stepping over the problems that would have crippled you when you were 17. 100%. And guess what? If you never put yourself in a position to find problems or fail, you will never know what you could actually achieve. You will never know challenge. You will never know risk and you will never grow or get anywhere. So like it's just understanding and framing all of these things that hold us back in a different way. And Jamie, it only has to make sense to us. No one's in here. So like if it makes sense to me and it serves me and it allows me to move forward positively, optimistically, then I'm, that's the story I'm telling myself, not the opposite that we spoke about. One of my heroes, Alex Amosi, that book behind you, that's amazing. Yes. One of his quotes is, Adverse, is adversity reveals who you are. And if you never go through for adversity, never go through challenges, then how do you work out what you are capable of? Yeah, they say it's one of the most, de- you know, it's it's the saddest thing a man can go through. He never truly gets an opportunity to reveal his character. 100%. So you debuted in the NRL, dream come true. You realized it was the journey. It wasn't playing that first game. Hmm. What happened over the next five to 10 years as your NRL career? I know, I know you went through some serious injuries again. The injuries yep. thing were a big one for me, mate, because like if your entire livelihood, your entire life's work is built to playing NRL and you're injured, you're laid up in a bed, you can't do what you love. I can't even imagine how hard that would have been for you going through that. Yeah. And you make a great point there, which is important is everything is relative to the person. You know, we, you could use a very wild example, which is say, you know, an, an African country where it's a third world country and hey, their problems are 10 times bigger than my problems, but it's not relative to me. My mm. biggest problem in that moment, yes, is being injured. My livelihood gone, all of the aspirations I had completely tarnished. So to your point, like, yeah, that is a massive situation for me. And the journey from the Roosters was uh, I got into a little bit of a trouble at my nightclub at the debut, although it wasn't my fault. It's, it is what it is. Then I was let go. Then I was picked up by the Panthers. And um, I remember one of the key moments I remember there was uh, Brad Fittler, who was the coach, who was my childhood like hero. Um, I, I asked him, mate, can you, can you make some calls? And he got me a meeting with Matt Elliott, who was the Panthers coach. And he had a whiteboard of 11 names. And he said, you're on the bottom of this. 
play better than these guys and you'll play first grade. And I just remember going, saying to myself, sweet, watch me. And by round 16 of that year, I debuted for the Panthers and the, the, it all started again. And, you know, so many great moments and highlights came from that until injury struck again, where um, I had a double shoulder reconstruction, which is a wild yeah. experience. Yeah, crazy. Double, and double man. Cool. Man, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a big guy. I've always been in the gym, as we know, since 17, and I look like a 12 year old boy. Like it's amazing what happens to your body when you don't do six, uh, yeah. six months of weights. I've got, a, I've got a question for you, mate. Like, yeah. in your opinion, who is the most naturally gifted fullback winger of all time? And then, where would you rank yourself in regards to natural talent versus 100% work ethic and 100% grit? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, in terms of like a couple couple people come to mind, but say you've got to when you think of talent, you've got to just think about this unbelievable skill. Like I played with a guy called Blake Ferguson, um, you know, um, a, an Indigenous man who come from a tough upbringing, had unbelievable talent. But if matched with someone who didn't have talent and had impeccable work ethic, would be the greatest person of all time. And on reflection to what you said. I now this person definitely had talent, but I have never the Kobe Bryant of Australian sport. I'll tell you right now is Billy Slater. Billy Slater, just Facts. work ethic. Oh my god, I've never seen anything like it. Like you want to talk about levels, it is insane. And at that point, when you thought, "Well, I'm working really hard," and then you meet Billy Slater and think, "Fuck, that's what hard work looks like." Mm. And Reference what was that moment? It. What was that moment for you like? What was that moment like? And like, oh, what did you see in front of your own eyes? Yeah, it's cool. It's just like it's always there's the, if you want to find ways to check yourself, uh, either practice humility or give yourself a new reference point. There's plenty out there, but most of us don't want to see it. That's a, that's a hard truth that we don't want to face. You know, I mm. think I'm working hard, but guess what? There's people working harder. But when you embrace and are open to those opportunities, I just think uh, I speak about one example as well, brother, which is. Um, there was a game at the Storm. I was still injured at the time, but um, he he had, say, dropped a couple of bombs in the game. This is, he plays for Australia, arguably one of the greatest fullbacks of all time, Queensland representative. Half an hour before training, he had the assistant coach kick him 50 bombs and he made those catches before we started the training session. I was just like, that's, um, that's one of a million stories, but I was just like, there is levels to this. And you think you're working hard, but guess what? Someone's working harder. Okay, 50 bombs, just literally that one skill of a hundred skills he has. You know what I mean? It's just the commitment to like, this is at the top of their game and still doing things in terms of practice and discipline that other people aren't, that are nowhere near that. And I was just like, it just gave you a new, I think about things in reference points and when you experience something new or you go through something like that and it's like, it shifts the reference point again. And that I don't think that journey of evolution ever stops, but it was just mind blowing. And to see the commitment to training, which was 110% intensity in every moment, the commitment to video and review and his knowledge of every player and every move and every part of the system. It's no wonder why Queensland are just revolutionized origin. Like as long as he's there, (laughs) we ain't winning. Yeah. And people think about like, Oh, he's talented, but like they don't see what happens 365 days of the year when they're not playing that night in the park. And Jamie, you'll be like me, like there's heaps of athletes that I follow. I love sport and there's some freaks who are talented, which I like, but my favorites are the people who go, Hey, yeah. Okay. I've got some attributes, but this is hard crack. work and work ethic, yeah. you know? Mate, I've got to jump in right here. Did you meet Alex Pereira? Yes. Oh, <laughs> hey, Israel Adesanya is my hero. 
and you must have met him in between losing that fight in Miami and winning the light heavyweight belt. What was what was yes. he like as a person? Oh, look, he, he's he's got a presence. He's a scary dude. You know, it's, <laughs> uh, I think I think I definitely think we actually got a smile out of him because um, we ended up. If you understand airlocker, you know we've got our TV technology, and we I customized this workout. I actually got to hold pads and box with him, which was mad, man. And but he's just uh, there's a there's a presence about him. You know, I don't understand his backstory too much, but we we can we can all agree he probably comes from humble beginnings, and he doesn't speak too much English. But mate, he was an alcoholic, twenty two, working in a mechanic shop, it's and insane. then fourteen years later, glory kickboxing champion. 2-8 UFC champion, he is the dream. Like he's a, he's unbelievable. It is, and what it, you, you think you think that's enough, and then he goes and wins a light heavyweight title, and then like what's next? It's it's insane what he's been able to do, and just what a beast of a human. And he does not only does he have that presence, but I can tell you now they call him Stone Hands for a reason. I don't even know so if he big. was punching hard, but I was like <laughs> his hands are like feel like double size of mine as well. Yeah. So mate, as the, as the injury started to compile through the NRL career. At what point did you realize, like, hey, like the end is near? I'm on the back end of this journey. What is my next thing going to be? And back to like going through adversity, was that was that a tough pill to swallow that you didn't fulfill your full potential due to the injuries? Yeah, it was, but you can't sit in that space for too long, you know. I remember, I remember even so after I after after the shoulder injury, two years later, I got suspended. I'm sure you know um, for four years, and that was an unfortunate situation, but one that. I and this is another piece to the puzzle that we spoke about, which is that roller coaster. I hand on heart can tell you right now that although I would love to, because I was in the peak of my powers, I was at the Raiders having a great time, I would not take that back. It's a big statement, but what happened from there, whether it was traveling the world, whether it was being exposed to business, meeting all these different people, but I had to lose myself to find myself, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I had so many great opportunities to learn and grow. And the biggest one, the most profound one was probably going back to that conditioning. Like my persona was built off all that I was and all that I knew. Like I was the footy player and I'd only ever been in this bubble exposed to this people. And when I was, when I was able to, you know, overcome myself and realize that I'm not that it's, it's not that significant. And what I did is not who I am. Uh, it was a major breakthrough for me. And look, everyone's got an ego. I don't, I don't apply a negative connotation to it, but if your ego consumes you, it's definitely a problem. And so for you me, were, you were Sander Earl, the NRL player, exactly, not Sander exactly. Earl, the human being. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that allowed me to, so my greatest adversity, greatest growth in that respect, and I wouldn't take it back. And it exposed me to so many great things. And it's a big reason for the person that you're speaking to and the man that I am today. I love how open you are, mate, about the things that you've gone through, some of the mistakes that you've made. And I think it's a really powerful story to share that, fuck, like we all make mistakes. Yeah. And it's and important, that, brother. If we can all practice vulnerability, we're doing a great service to everyone around us. And do you have players reach out to you or, or individuals saying, hey, I, I love your story. I appreciate how honest you are. Like, like thank you so much. Yeah, I think so. I think it's definitely respected. It's a bit of a lost currency being able to be honest and and vulnerable these days. So what I do say is you may not get the acknowledgement, but what I do feel around me is you start to give empower people and give them a license to start to be themselves or be a little bit vulnerable. So um, the more that I can practice that, and if I am 
I've been in positions, whether it be through rugby league, now with gladiators, with air locker, if I'm perceived to be someone uh, and put on a pedestal and then I am living my life that way, authentically and vulnerable, then you know that that is giving, that is giving a license and empowering other people to go, well, oh, then I can do it. So yeah. that's kind of the, if that's the impact I want to have. Back to like a love of sport, like Tyson Fury's story is fucking amazing. Like yeah, those who don't know, he was the heavyweight champion. He beat the one man he was chasing his entire life. Did it, didn't care anymore, loved the journey more, put on 200 pounds. Someone <laughs> called him out, got off the couch, came back and won the championship of the world. And just, he was like at the lowest of lows. Bro, it's wild. And these are just stories that we need to take inspiration from. I mean, even uh, you look at that from a business sense, sometimes you get caught in the the day-to-day and the the ups and downs. But if you look at any successful person, even you know, Hormozzi is another one, um, any athlete, any business, they've all failed. They've been bankrupt. They've gone through the worst of the worst, hit rock bottom. And it's at some for some reason or in some way been the pinnacle reason for why they are where they are. And as we know, because we keep touching on it, take away the fear, put yourself in a position to be challenged and take risks, fail, learn, continue to grow. And if that's the cycle we're all on and accept, and that's the reality, and that's our expectations, we're only going one way. 100%, mate. So you wrapped up the NRL career? Yes. How long was the transition? Even, bro, just a little one for you. You'll like this. I came back after four or five years and tore my ACL three weeks into Melbourne Storm training. So just add that little cherry on top. (laughs) All right. So you tore your ACL twice. Yeah. Mate, I'm a bit worried about Phoenix up on that drill tower now. Nah, he's good. He's good. There's not too much much stepping, so I'm all right. So, mate, you transitioned to Airlocker. Yes. When did you become aware of the brand? When did you meet the founder? Because it was launched in Newcastle where I live, where I'm from. So I saw it get off the ground. I saw Mark Hughes get behind it and open up Katara. So I've seen it from day one. When did you get involved? So not too long after that, um, that was in 2019 and then 2020 was our COVID year. Now uh, the backstory behind that is I've got a couple of mates, uh, best mates of mine who live in America and they, we we were all on the F45 journey. I had an F45 in Melbourne. Um, They were the founders of uh, bringing F45 into California. So they had four or five studios and I was at the end of like, I was at a tipping point where Crossroads was like, do I keep playing footy and just squeeze the lemon and see what we can do? You know, who, who knows? We've got a few more games. Who cares? Do I go overseas or do we have a crack at something? Because we all had this understanding and belief in what we could do and wanted to go out on our own and create something. We started talking about altitude randomly because I'd done some training across the road at Collingwood and one of the boys had gone to this altitude room, a small room and just did some conditioning work. One of the boys comes back, he lives in Central Coast, and he goes, guys, you wouldn't believe it. There's this altitude gym that's just opened up in Newcastle. We're like, what do you mean? What are the odds of that? Um, Long story short, I ended up meeting Roman, and we got on like a house on fire. He's a very passionate man as well, full of energy. And um, before you knew it, I was like, this is what I want to do. Let's let's take it to America. And COVID hit, obviously, and we got relocated to Queensland, and – um, come off the back of that, that American journey sort of took a, a like, uh, had to take a break. But the conversation was, look, you love programming. You love educating coaches. This is what you want to do. So why don't you get involved? And I came on when they had two studios in Qatar and Newcastle. So you've, and, been, there, um, you've been there from studio two, man. You've been there yeah. from the start. 
Yeah, yeah. And I'm just very grateful. Um, I'm sure you have some context around this, but generally athletes who transition away from sport, we spoke about this and I, I got, I'm grateful because I was exposed to some different stuff through, you know, a big adversity moment, but they just don't have a lot of mentoring. They don't have a lot of education. They certainly don't have much passion outside of football. So I'm very grateful that I was able to transition into what is my life's purpose. And mate, what is the director of performance at Airlocker actually do? Are you responsible for the programming? Are you responsible for helping open up studios? I'd love to understand what's your what's your day look like. In a startup company, it's it's got it's got performance written on it, and it's got ten different hats. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> so yeah. it's a it's a very open ended um, status. But look, essentially, uh, I build the Airlocker training program. So very grateful for that opportunity. It's it's an ever evolving product, and. Um, I also work directly with the coaches, so focusing on coaching education. If you want to throw performance under product, uh, program and product, realistically, okay. but along this journey, I've been exposed to operations, sales, everything. So that's been an awesome experience as well. But those are the main things. Obviously, I get to be the little guy on the TV and the face of the brand as well. And um, in some respects, it's just pioneering what we're trying to create, which is a movement around altitude training. You mentioned it then, and you may just say that again. Why is Airlocker different to BFT, to FitStop, to Strong, to KX, to the rest of them all? Yeah, it's an awesome question. And uh, to be fully transparent, which is what I like to always be, we are on a journey to redefine ourselves and ensure that we are not placed in a comparison competition with people who fall under the banner of group training and boutique fitness, right? That's a really important transition for us. And Jamie, I'll take you on a quick journey because to answer your question, we're the home of altitude. Everyone's got barbells, everyone's got assault bikes, but we train in a simulated high altitude environment. That's our key core differentiator. And with that comes a lot of amazing opportunities unique to what we can do. But the key reflection for us is, bro, is five to 10 years ago, you look at ice bars, so you look at the current trends in the market, right? Wellness. Wellness is top of the top of the rank at the moment. Now, five to 10 years ago, no one was doing ice bars. It wasn't a thing. Athletes were doing it. Now, from that, you gain credibility. Well, if athletes are doing it, it must be good for you. Then it comes a wave of science, okay? There's some literature and some research. It's great for recovery. It's also a valuable tool in building mental strength and resilience. From that comes influence, Wim Hof. Tim Ferriss, Andrew Huberman, and yep. now I'm sure you've done it too, brother. Every cat and their dog is posting about how they're doing an ice bath or a cold shower. Mate, right? I've, I've got an ice bath membership down the road at Body Emotion Edgeworth. There you go. There you go, my man. Now, what's ha- th- what happened is it's created this social framework and constructive, right? So it's got gained social proof. It's gained mass market adoption to the point where, in reflection, someone will pay for contrast therapy, sauna or ice bath, the price of a weekly membership for what we're doing and and the other competitors that you name, which is mind-blowing, right? But the big connection with that is ice bath is a controlled stress. Gone are the days where we use it just for recovery, right? We're now coached and guided through all of these different uh, modalities and businesses that if we can go into an ice bath and force ourselves to do something uncomfortable in a controlled stress and remain calm and composed, we're actually going to improve our ability to handle stress and adversity in our day-to-day lives. And you get a, bit, you get a hell of an energy boost, right? Oh, man. You it's literally my favorite time of the week, three times a week. And more importantly, I can't take this in there with me. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> That's true. I love that. Now, 
to take you on the journey, um, just from a business perspective, I just want to highlight this. Our greatest challenge is our greatest asset, altitude training, because it's we have to break through to the market with something that is very uneducated and in some respects is met with a lot of fears, myths, and misconceptions, right? So it has, it's got so much blue sky and opportunity, but it's got a lot of roadblocks that we have to overcome. So, you so want, initially- You want Airlocker to be a category of one, hey, like we are not group fitness. Now, Ice Bath is a movement, right? That's, that's what it's become. Altitude needs to become a movement. And it will, it, it's, it's inevitable, but air locker training will be successful off the back of that exact statement. When we create an altitude movement and we have to pioneer it, no one's going to do it for us in this respects, then altitude, who is the facilitators and the home of altitude, air locker training, we will be successful. So that's the journey that we're on. And there's lots of components to that. But one key thing is through the journey of business, we've actually had to reverse engineer it. Because we've had to develop a concept and a model and a story and an identity and an IP around altitude, we've had constant change, ups, downs, this way, that way. We've now finally found our feet and we can move forward with what is our identity. But the problem that comes with that is, Jamie, is it massively distracts you from creating systems and processes, which is a huge problem, as you know, brother. Now we're at a point where we're in that subscale of growth and we are now reverting our attention back to a full and sole focus into our systems and our processes for scalability, which is imperative for us right now. It's interesting, mate, like, because I'm a marketer and salesperson by nature, right? And you can market and sell a shit product, or you can spend the time for two or three years to build the product, Mm. get the awareness, build the brand, and then the marketing system just works a lot easier if you have created the movement and you have, have become that category king. Yeah, it's true. And bro, the, the beautiful thing that I want to reflect on with the ice bar, Jamie, if I was, I'll ask you a quick question. You just, you just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. If we were on a deserted island, what are some things you would need? Food. Yeah. Anything else? Water. Yeah. Anything else? Friend. friend. Okay. Friend would be good. Now you can live without food for three weeks. You can live without water for three days. You can live without oxygen for the best part of three minutes. There is no more powerful and primal stress fight or flight response than taking away someone's oxygen. Unlocking. Forgive my ignorance, mate. I actually don't know what happens at Airlocker in regards to the altitude simulation. So what actually occurs? Beautiful. So not a lot occurs. What happens is just like an aircon, we pump fresh air into the room and it goes through a membrane and a filter that reduces the amount of oxygen in the air. So we will train at 14% as opposed to 21%, which is what we're in right now, at an elevation that replicates 3,500 to 4,000 meters. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So Brad, based on what I just said, if you think about, go back to the ice bath and why we do it. Now, the energy is one thing because you're getting a massive increase in adrenaline, right? But when we go into an ice bath, we know we get that fight or flight, that stress response, same as the sauna. Okay, And we know that if we can maintain composure, control our emotional state, focus on our breathing, then the practice of this in an extreme stress response allows us to improve our quality of life and our reactions to certain situations and triggers and adversity. Now, what we've unlocked is the very powerful opportunity that we have with altitude training because my passion and the passion of the brand is to take an holistic approach where we can combine the most powerful controlled stress environment with the tools of a strength and conditioning 
team training workout. Now, I love the ice bath in the sauna, but we're not sitting in a pool of cold water or a hot box. We can apply this controlled stress modality with a workout. Yep. That unique hybrid approach yep. what air locker training is. And the idea is if you can perform at altitude, it makes life at sea level very, very manageable. In all aspects, in all aspects. Now, of course, you're going to see the performance benefits of intermittent hypoxia training replicated in your ability to repeat efforts aerobically and anaerobically. Even with strength and hypertrophy, you will get enhancements and adaptation. But the biggest thing is, and brother, I don't know if you have a reflection that's similar, like I make the program. I like altitude, obviously, but I don't, it's not really what I care about. I'm sure you can reflect on the same thing, but, or relate, sorry. I come into these environments in a studio and it's 150, 200 new people that they're big, small, introverted, extroverted, young, old, and through a greeting and an experience and a conversation, you can make them feel 10 feet tall. You can actually oh, shift their mindset and their perception of life. That's what I, I just love. love getting people off the couch. Yeah. Challenging themselves, realizing they can do more than they thought they could, making friends, coming to the functions. And the way I describe our gyms to people is I want it to be the third place. So you've got your work, you've got your family, and air locker literally becomes like your training. So I used to love AFL training Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturday game, back to the country club, on it with the boys. Exactly. And we want our gym to be that for our members. And look, the reality is, as we get a little bit older, uh, social team sports is gone. Uh, where we we may or may not, but I'm pretty sure it's a low percentage of people who are working in a environment or have a career that's this amazing culture that gives you so much. Um, social interactions go down, like meeting people. So these opportunities go get lower and lower and lower. And to create this third space, which is also a safe space for you to be yourself, to be vulnerable, to meet like-minded people. My goal for airlocker training is for everyone to become a product of their environment. And by that, I mean, you're surrounded by like-minded people who want to be better, who are focused on self-development, who culturally care about the people around them, and they feel safe and they feel supported. And that alone, let's forget the altitude, because I'm a big fan of any fitness uh, concept, because if people enjoy it and they're moving and they're healthy, then we're all doing a good thing. But if I can, if we can achieve that in our studios and that's the culture, then that alone is going to have a profound impact on everyone's life. Hundred percent. And all we want is consistency. Therefore, the environment must be world class, and the altitude is just a cherry on top. So, Jamie, the good thing about consistency and discipline, I often talk about this, and the, you, you'd definitely be able to connect with this because a big component of I'll ask you this: Have you ever been, have you ever been on a program or a nutrition plan? Of course, we know the answer. Hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> now, have you ever uh, failed or come up short on the results that you wanted on this nutrition plan Mate, or program? I'd be lying if I said I haven't. Exactly, I have. <laughs> right, but let's look at that. I want I want to look at this from a different perspective. The nutrition plan and the program. If I asked you this, Jamie, if I gave you the best program and nutrition plan and you followed it, would you get results? We'd both agree that you'd get results. Calorie deficit, progressive overload, I'm getting results. 100%. Now, let's look at that nutrition plan in the program. So the nutrition plan, calorie, lean muscle gain and fat loss, they're generally the two most sought after objectives. Now, calorie deficit, calorie surplus. We're going to have to track our calories. Then we're going to have to meal prep. So we're going to have to make our food. We're going to have to be consistent. You're going to have to go to the shopping center, walk past the chocolate aisle, and make sure you get the right foods and make some good choices. Now, this program, the magical program, is going to get us results. Firstly, 
because everything comes down to a set of actions. You're going to have to just get to the gym, right? And then when you're at the gym, you're going to have to work with a certain level of effort or intensity, the sets, the reps, and guess what? You can't go once. You're going to have to go two, three, four times. Now, there's one common denominator to all of that. The actions that we spoke about rely on one thing. It's you. It's me. If we don't have the ability and the mental strength and resilience to make the right choices, be consistent, be disciplined, I don't give a shit what nutrition plan or program you give me. It's never going to happen. Now, trying to combine everything that we've spoken about, when you come into our workouts and you're challenged with a third less oxygen, triggering the most powerful and extreme controlled stress, fight or flight, and then you are going through a workout of all of these different strength and conditioning movements and stations. If you can face this and you're faced with all these different choices and you can maintain composure, control your state, focus on your breathing, and you can make a choice, a disciplined choice, focus through fatigue in the face of the ultimate stress, then the belief is that we are practicing and instilling an ability for you to do this in your everyday life. So by creating controlled adversity in the studio, it allows people to make better choices outside the studio and have that discipline and have that mental resiliency. And my goal is, Jamie, is that airlocker training is training for life because if we can improve that in people using our story, using a controlled stress environment, using our strength and conditioning program and bring to life two things that we do have control of, which is our thoughts and our breath, and we can improve that and you start to see a transfer into your career, your work ethic, your productivity, your relationships, the way, the way you react to certain situations and you respond then you can achieve anything because we've we've got to go back to the first principle. Altitude training is brain training. And the common denominator, like we said, is your choices, the things that you can or can't do. When we gave that example, bro, we didn't even speak about what happens when it gets hard, when it's too cold, when work gets in the way, when I'm sore, when I don't have time. When you can't find your car keys, it's everything. (laughs) So if you can't even make the right choices when everything's good, then we'd, we've just got no chance. So for us, I, I, I stand here and I want to say that I am trying to be a pillar of change and make an impact on the fitness industry that doesn't only speak directly to results, but speaks directly to the person and says, look, we believe we have this holistic program and a hybrid program that can, combines a very powerful wellness tool, controlled stress with a workout that we can improve and shift you which will then have a direct uh, reflection on everything in your life. And that's the goal of Airlocker, brother. Mate, your passion's coming through the screen. <laughs> Thank you. Mate, I've got to ask you a tough question. Yes. F45 is getting slammed by the press. Now, yes. I think F45 did amazing things for group fitness. It got everyday people. We're not off, here without them, are we? 100% off the couch into the studios. Airlocker being a new brand, rapidly expanding, how do you not make some of the mistakes that F45 have made to the point where they are now, where maybe a lot of their franchisees aren't as happy as they once were. Yeah, 100%. Well, the thing is I was involved in F45, so I have a reflection. And um, we've spoken about – we spoke about this earlier. Like 
if you're involved in a successful team, yes, you may take some things away. And if you always have success, you'll learn some things and there'll be some good attributes. But being a part of F45 and seeing the pitfalls and the things that they could have done better gave me my greatest lessons and perspectives. With F45, brother, if you look at their journey, they came into a time, like imagine it being in that time where there was no group training. So mate, I opened up a gym in 2015, 509 members in 12 months. I was a, I was a part of the problem, mate. There you go. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's the wild west. It's a completely different time. The problem is with that along the journey, F45 had a very sales focused mentality and mindset. And in some respects, now being on the other side as a franchisor, I don't blame them. I get it. When you're having rapid growth, why pull the handbrake up? They're just selling and selling and selling. The problem with that is with scale and growth comes problems, okay? So as they went through with the focus and primary attention being on sales and growth, they started to lose touch with the evolution of their brand, current trends, what the needs and wants are of the members, the general population, but also the franchisees. And if sales is the focus, then you can sure bet that support is going to not be the focus. So when that happens, you're going to start to see a massive discrepancy in the standards and also the success of your franchisees. And there's nothing more important than success of your franchisees. I do think at the same time, F45 has um, now got a bad name, but I don't think it's the F45 that's the problem. It's maybe the leadership that yeah. uh, caused a lot of the issues. No, so and, I, I know, work with a bunch of F45s, mate, and some of them are killing it. The brand yeah. is still there. I think... From my experience, and I've worked with almost every franchise, like there's three things. It is like the territories are too small. Mm-hmm. It is they didn't actually meet the franchisees, sit down, have dinner with them, have the conversation, have the second conversation. I vet the gyms I work with harder than F45 would have in 2016. Oh, 100%. And the third thing would be just to like just making sure that when a franchisee signs up, just being open and honest that like, hey, opening a gym isn't build it and they come. There are systems, there is operations, there is marketing and there is sales. But if you fucking get it right, you have this amazing community that you built and you can transform lives. It's so true, brother. And I, I truly believe hand on heart, it doesn't need to be more complicated than it actually is. What you just said is you are building a community and this is a customer service business. And if you're not involved, and you think this is a set and forget and it won't take any sort of work or commitment, then that's just, <laughs> it's the wrong mindset. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, and you, and you spoke about another point. That comes with that sales and growth mentality. You know, the size of territories created almost a cannibalism. Um, but, yeah, and I think as you would refer to, like if you've got good operators and they're really passionate and they've got great customer service and they build community, who cares what logo's on the door? Mate, one of the best things we do in Newcastle for our gyms, and please take this to Roman. Yes. July 27, that weekend every year, we run an annual charity trivia night. We choose a local family in Newcastle. Sometimes it's been Dog Rescue Newcastle. We've raised over $66,000 for local families in Newcastle, something I'm really proud of. So you get your 30-plus location annual trivia night, host of the Leeds Club, Gladiator makes an appearance. You could raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for all those local communities, man. And that is the power of having that community to do cool things. Yeah, I agree. Congratulations, brother. I'm proud of you. Thank you, mate. Mate, I have to transition to Phoenix. Yes. How does one become a Gladiator? Well, 
gratefully you are uh, you get you get hit up by the recruiters at Warner Brothers Productions, but <laughs> I thought it was a joke at first. Honestly, I thought it was a GL. I must have missed um, that. I must have missed that email, mate. Yeah, like, you got to check 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 your spam. But um, no, look. Uh, I've had a couple of opportunities float here and there around TV and um, got very close. But if you want to talk about alignment, when Gladiators came across my desk, I was like, no way, this is unbelievable. Like it's a dream come true. And then to be honest, brother, as you know, the position that I'm in and the change that I want to make, I put a lot of weight and value in platforms and there's no greater platform than me for air locker training, but Gladiators was another one. And not only is it an invaluable and priceless opportunity for our brand and the exposure, as you can understand, um, it's just another platform. And to give me the gladiator name Phoenix, as you know, my journey now, um, rising was, from the ashes. Was, yeah. I was stoked. I was like, this is great. Not only do I get to be a gladiator, but I get to take on a character and a persona that embodies who I am. And I really, I just saw it as another platform where every conversation, everything that is important to me, everything that I want to make an impact around, this is genuinely another platform. Like it's Phoenix the Gladiator. So Mate, what is it like stoked. to be at Westfield doing a promotional tour and for kids to view you as the Phoenix? Oh, mate, it, it was it hit different, honestly. Like as I said to you, you get you got kid fans of rugby league and stuff as well, but when they think you're a superhero, it's a different beast. Hundred percent, hundred percent, mate. What is like the production like? Like, how long are you on set for? How long are you standing on the jewel? What are some insights that people watching the show at home wouldn't understand? Something that's maybe exciting, something that's maybe not as exciting. Yeah, I've got to be careful here, but uh, <laughs> can't give can't give away. Yeah, so, so, in, in, industry secrets. But <laughs> no, look, um, it's a lot more extensive than you think. Like uh, as you've already seen. Uh, there's a lot of injuries, like it's it's full tilt, you know what I mean? So it's a big commitment. Um, filming TV was my, this was my first experience, so I didn't really understand how crazy it is and it's a very lengthy process and journey and that's not only for us, that's for these contenders as well. So it's pretty wild. But one of the, one of the things, you know, as you've seen with the crowds and stuff like that, like to be in that moment and everyone's just focusing on you and you're standing up there on the jewel with one other person. It's like, I had, I've, I haven't had that feeling since the most epic encounters on a football field. Like this is heart thumping. I was like, Oh, all right. the, are the crowds going for the contenders? Man? Are they going for the gladiators? I think, I think it's always skewed towards the gladiators, isn't it? Mate, everyone loves an underdog though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I, so do I, like I love seeing the contenders and look where we're on the back end of the heats now and you start to see some awesome stories and some people really come to life and some pretty epic battles and rivalries. So they're all contending. The thing I love about it is they're planning to become a gladiator. Like it adds a whole nother layer to it. hundred percent, mate. And I guess like watching as a kid in the nineties, Mike Whitney, yeah. The anxiety of people, Vulcan. but the the anxiety of people missing the travel later. <laughs> yeah, so good, so good. And like, mate, it was it was bloody anxiety for me up there. Like I said, I've been in the professional sporting environment, but there's a lot of pride on the line. You're you're this gladiator phoenix. You get up on that jewel. Do you think? Imagine losing the first time. Like I can't imagine it. So yeah. it was like, oh, mate. I watched episode one and I saw you power slam that guy down the pyramid, and your knee landed on his head. <laughs> And now I know about your knee injury. I'm actually more worried about you blowing your knee out again. <laughs> yeah, luckily, uh, luckily the knee's pulled up all right. But I will say, there's, uh, I, th- I don't. My greatest highlights have not come yet. If that gives you any context, so okay, okay. actually tonight, um, 
there's going to be there's a battle with uh, Hammer, who's the OG Gladiator. His son is back on, and we have a we have a go on the pyramid, and that's probably my craziest and favorite one. Mate, I end the podcast the same way with every single person. What's one question I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Oh, one question I should have asked you that I didn't ask you. Oh, that's that's a good one. <laughs> I wish you had have asked me before. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> does this always stump everyone? Always stumps everyone, mate. <laughs> T- take take your time; it's good. Sometimes we have to think about questions. Maybe asking me what my. Maybe just for context for you, like asking him what my greatest lesson in business was, because I got a I got a great story and there's heaps going on. But um, you know, maybe we can do another podcast. But I just got so much. I don't. I'm not educated. I don't come from franchising. I don't have. I'm not a university degree. I'm just super passionate and um, love everything that I do. But man, I've learned so much this last three years, brother. So um, yeah, maybe there you have set up another podcast. What are you most proud of, mate? Because you've had a very, very short but very, very busy life. Uh, you know what i I sat back this year and I did a lot of I did a lot of reflections. And um, you often get caught in the day to day and always in that "what's next" mentality. Because in this business, a day feels like a week, a week feels like a month, a month is a year. And you had to sit back and this ain't easy, right? And I, as I said, I'm always willing to be transparent and we're trying to figure it out. We're staying committed. We're very passionate about what we want to achieve. But I think you sit back and you hang on. Yeah, okay, we don't have this ideal and we want to set up this structure, but we got we got 30 studios and we're about to, you know, transition internationally. Like, that's awesome. And you sit back and you just have to sometimes savor those moments. You know, I actually spoke about this the other day, bro. I don't know if you if you have a uh, reflection point similar, but I went into Gladiators and one day, because I was doing a lot of filming, like a bit of vlogging myself, I went in there about seven days in and I was like, oh, no, this feels normal. You know, I was like, you know how that happens? And it's like, oh, it's ter- all of a sudden, like, Gladiators, yeah, Gladiators is nothing. So I walked in at about 6.30 a.m. and I walked into the arena by myself and I just forced, I, was, I sat there and I was just like, ah. Just had to soak it in and practice a bit of gratitude because it it sucks how that happens. Things just normalize themselves because it's it's the journey, mate. It's not the destination. You had to That's think it, about brother. what it took for you to become the phoenix. That's it, brother. Mate, Never I want to thank you for your time, particularly in this week when uh, Gladiators debuted, mate. I'm a big fan of the Airlocker brand. It's unique. It's different. Educating the public is one of the hardest things you mm. can do. So, mate, you've got a big road ahead of you. Thank you so much, brother. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, I've seen the stuff that you're doing, and uh, you know, this podcast is a reflection of you trying to educate people and offer as much value as possible. So proud of what you're doing, mate. And uh, it was a pleasure being on the podcast. Appreciate it, mate. Mate, we are off the air. Thank you so much for your time, and really appreciate.